Good morning everyone, welcome to Real Life Church, it's great to have you all here with us. If you don't know me, my name's Stuart, I'm the leader of the church here. Um, just a little bit about what we're, we're up to here. We've, um, we only began meeting like this in September, so it's very early days for us as a church. We are growing, we are looking towards doing a public launch, we're going to let the town know we're about, but it's early days and we're, we're building up to what we want to be in the future. We've got big visions, God's told us where he wants us to go and we're slowly kind of gearing up and uh, moving towards that. Uh, if you've got children, um, there's some stuff, children-oriented activities outside so you can uh, please feel free to make use of them. And there is tea, coffee and what I can see are fabulously designed cakes um, at the back. And if at any point you want to go and help yourself to them, I will not be offended Um, My day job is teaching five-year-olds and so I'm used to movement and people clearly not paying attention to everything I'm saying. So if you want to go and get something to eat, um, I don't mind that or go and get yourself another drink. Matthew, you're actually going to demonstrate that for me now, aren't you? By leaving. I'm going to talk in just a moment, so seriously, I'm going to get get a drink to um, get yourself sorted. If you haven't got got a Bible, could you go to the book of Ephesians, please? book of Ephesians. Okay, we started a series uh, a few weeks back, looking through the book of, uh, beginning of the book of Ephesians. We're going to be going through all of it over the next kind of year or so, slowly looking through what God has said to us there. Um, and what we found ourselves in is uh, the beginning of this section, starting in verse three. And what we found as we've looked um, looked through it is um, Ephesus was a very large city that that had a church in it. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to that church. It was a city that was a centre for the Roman Empire, particularly in the spiritual things, the occult, that kind of stuff. So it was a highly spiritual place, lots of powers at work. If you wanted spells and charms and all that kind of stuff, you would go to Ephesus to get it. It was dominated by the worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana, giving her other name. And there was a massive temple there um, to her. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And much of the economy um, revolved around the worship of Diana. The temple acted like a bank. um, And people would go and worship there and and all sorts of stuff go on there. And into that, the Apostle Paul comes in Acts 19, preaches, plants a church, it grows, it multiplies, he moves on. And then he writes this letter to that church there, um, many years later, and uh, that's what we're studying today. And we've reached this section, um, beginning of verse 3, which if, from verses 3 to verse 14 is actually one sentence in the Greek, the way Paul would have written it. It's been broken down in our English because I'm not sure we could have coped um, with just one, section, uh, one sentence that long, although I've read enough children's work to actually see one sentence that long. <laughs> Starts with a capital letter and finishes with a full stop and everything is contained within that. Um, But this is Paul's um, beginning of the letter and really what it is is an outburst of praise to God. It is um, a proclamation, an exclamation of the wonders of God's plan in salvation. The revelation of God's plan to his people and Paul is so overcome that he just kind of lets go and it's all kind of written down for us in one sentence, clause upon clause upon clause, because he is overcome with what God has been doing. And it shows God's purpose from eternity uh, to eternity, what, he, what God was in his heart before the world began, before creation, and what will be at the end when God sums all things up um, in himself. And it shows God as the origin, the source, um, and, and the goal of our salvation. 
It's all about him, uh, past, present and future and Paul is just overcome and he just proclaims this to us. And just We've looked at the first few verses and I'll recap what we've covered uh, thus far. We looked, the first thing we saw was the role of God as Trinity. That first verse there in verse 3 talks about God the Father, God the Son and God uh, the Spirit and that is woven throughout the entire chapter and God as Trinity is vital for something to us to hold on to. It what marks Orthodox Christianity against any offshoot, any cult, any sex, any, any false belief around Christianity, the actual nature of God and God is, there is one God, the Bible clearly states but he also states that God is three persons, Father, Son, Spirit but each person is fully God. Now on the surface that doesn't actually make sense, that only makes sense in God. Um, To our human logic that doesn't kind of scan, but that is how God um, is and that is how he has communicated himself to us. And we see God as Trinity throughout this passage. You see God the Father right at the beginning there. Um, He is the blessed be the God and Father. So we have God the Father right up front. and he is, he is the, the, um, the origin of our salvation. He is the one who, who has chosen, has blessed us, has destined us, has lavished all these good things upon us. It's his purpose, his will, as we read through the passage, that is coming out. And he set his love upon us. He has set his grace upon us. He is working out his eternal plan. And as we look at that, you will see the thread of God the Father, his initiative working through the passage. We also see the, um, the role of God the Son. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now he is all over this section and Paul is making such a point because um, I read the commentaries and they said that he's men- Christ is mentioned over 15 times throughout this section and the phrase in him, in Christ is mentioned a further 11 times. So that's a lot of times that Paul is trying to get us back to Jesus Christ because there is the initiative, the plan of God the Father but it is summed up in Christ And actually, when you read the Bibles, you will find the way that Paul often and the writers, when they express Christianity, they actually express it by us being in Christ. They don't actually use the word Christian or Christianity. You don't actually find that. It's mentioned in Acts, where it talks about them being in Antioch, I think it was, and they were first known as Christians, followers of Christ. But actually, a more common biblical phrase is us being in Christ. That's what, that's what they use and that describes us what um, Christianity is. And so it's all about being in Jesus. If you could sum up Christianity to one simple word, it would be Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's who it's all about. And he, he is in there and we are blessed in there and we receive so much from him, redemption, forgiveness of sins, which we're going to be looking at today. And uh, once we were separated, the letter makes a point, but now we are in Christ. And then we see God the Holy Spirit being weaved all the way through there. It talks about us having spiritual blessings right at the beginning. And that just means of the Spirit. At the end, it talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit bookending this section and actually these, these gifts that we receive through God, these wonderful blessings are gifts given to us through the Spirit and it is the Spirit of God that comes in us that helps us glorify Jesus and relate to God as Father. The Bible says in Romans, isn't it, by the Spirit we cry Abba, Father. And so we have the God as Trinity working through it. We also saw um, as we moved on um, God's role in election, in choosing us. He uses words like chooses, predestines, and the point is that before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be in him. As believers, as Christians, we were chosen before we were even created. It was a part of the heart of God, the love and the grace of God. And it was before we could do anything, anything right or anything wrong, um, God chose us. So it's not based on our merit, our goodness or anything we have, not even our faith, that we use to express in Christ, because it says later in Ephesians 2 that, that actually that, that faith was what? A gift 
from God himself. So actually, it's all about God's um, choosing of us, God's electing of us. And what this means is, it's so important because it means we've got nothing to prove. We don't have to prove ourselves good enough for God because he already chose us before we did anything right or wrong. It means that anything we do that that it might offend him, actually God has, God has dealt with that in Christ and he, he still had us. It also keeps us humble. Actually, we can't, we can't think, God was good to save us. He needed us on his team because of all the gifts we can bring to the church. Actually, no, God, God didn't need you. God just chose you because he loved you. He brought you into um, his, uh, his family. And then the next thing we looked at was adoption, that we weren't just chosen, we were chosen to be his children. We were chosen to be part of his family and the image there is the image um, of adoption under Roman law which talks about when someone is adopted into a family they gain the full rights as if they were a natural born child, a natural born son and so they they don't become an adopted son and add on extra to the family, they become one of the family and they inherit everything that a natural child would have and we are brought into God's family and it's like we're natural children of God. And actually we inherit all the, all the things that were, were due to Christ as the Son, we now kind of come in on the back of. And we are his children. We can, we can approach him and call him Father. Jesus even taught us to pray like that. The disciples said to him, how do you pray? And he said, well, you start by saying, our Father. There was the collectiveness. It wasn't just Christ saying, my Father. He was saying, it's our Father. You're brought into that family. And we can have this wonderful relationship with God as Father. He is not a distant deity, which would have been the image that they would have seen from the pagan religions around distant deities, often vengeful, often vindictive um, to humanity, but actually you have a loving father who wants to relate to his children and love his children. And we see it now even with imperfect human fathers and their children. They love their parents and they want to hang out with their parents and the parents love them and want to be with them. The favourite part of my day is when I get to give Levi a bath um, at night and then we go downstairs and I give him his milk and we watch in the night garden and he just cuddles up to me and that's the best part of my day when I just get to sit with him cuddling and watch in the night garden in the night garden is weird if you've ever seen it it is, it is a bizarre program but the fact is I just get to spend time with my son and we just get to hang out together and that for me is the most favourite part of my day and I'm an imperfect father and I have an imperfect son but actually how much more does a perfect father love us, want us and, and relate to us and so Paul has started this passage with just reminding us of those things. And I want us to, just to make sure we're keeping this in the front of our mind as we move on, that actually it's God as Trinity working. We've been chosen, we've been adopted, and we're going to move on and look at two more things today. We're going to look at redemption and forgiveness, and then we're going to look at God's eternal plan that Paul comes on to speak about. So if we go on to verse 7, we've looked at those first ones. Verse 7, it says, In him... So that's referring back to Christ. It's not one of those in him phrases. In Jesus. We are in Christ as Christians. He's talking to the church here. You've been brought into Christ. It says we have redemption. Now that word redemption um, has connotations. It basically means the liberation from imprisonment and bondage. Um, It means being delivered from something, being set free from something at the payment of a price. And that's kind of all wrapped up in what that word means. And the image that the biblical image for that word that we, our minds should always go to when we read that word is the image of the exodus from Egypt that the people of Israel went through in the book of Exodus. That's the biblical image because what you have there is you have a people 
it was the people of Israel, were under bondage to a cruel tyrant who was Pharaoh in that case. And they were, they were slaves and they had no hope. Uh, they were helpless. They could not get out because he had them under his heel and he could just destroy them at his women. So they were in complete bondage. There was no way out. They were completely at his mercy. God then sent a deliverer to them, which was Moses, and Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you've seen the films, Charlton Heston or Prince of Egypt, you kind of know what happens. No, and then there are the plagues, and Pharaoh says no, and there are more plagues, and da-da-da-da-da. And then it gets to the final plague, and it, it's uh, God's judgment on Pharaoh um, and his people um, because they are not responding, they are not listening to God. And ultimately Moses has to go and say, there is a final judgment coming, there is one, there is one more, and, and God will pass over, and in judgment he will strike the firstborn of every household dead from the highest to the lowest throughout the entire land of Egypt. And Pharaoh chooses not to repent at this point and hardens his heart and says, no, I don't believe this. And God says to the people of Israel, actually, you can, you can get through this and the way you have to do it is you have to bring a lamb into the house. The lamb has to be unblemished, perfect. The lamb was actually to live among the household for a short period so everyone in the household could examine the lamb and check that it was perfect. They were then to slaughter the lamb They were then to eat the lamb and take the blood of it and paint it over the doorpost and lintel of their house um, as a mark. So there will be blood on the doorpost, blood across the lintel. They would then eat the lamb as a meal, being ready to travel um, that evening. And the, the, the judgment of God would pass over the land and he would strike and kill the firstborn of every household. But if the blood was on the doorpost, God would pass over. That's where we get the phrase, pass over. Um, that household because someone had already died. There had already been death in that house and so he would pass over because the lamb had replaced the firstborn son. And then what we would have with the result of that was the entire people of Israel would go free. Somewhere, you know, the estimates upwards of a million of them would, would then go free to worship God in the desert. And that freedom was brought for the people of Israel through no action of their own. They didn't get themselves free. The initiative was all God's He's the one who set up the plan. He's the one who sent the deliverer. He's the one who sorted it out. He's the one who brought judgment. He's the one who even brought the way out of that judgment and even told them how to get out of that judgment. He gave them the instructions. And so it was all on the initiative and the result of God and the people then went free and you have the nation of Israel kind of born as a people and God took them into, eventually into the promised land and they were established as God's people with their own kingdom, their own land. And... The point for us is we find ourselves in the same place. Mankind finds itself in the same place generally. We are, we are in bondage, we are slaves, we are under a cruel master of sin. We cannot get out of it, we cannot get free from it. The Romans says we are slaves to sin. Like the Israelites were slaves, we are slaves to sin. And we cannot get out. But it says, Paul is saying, you have redemption. Where does that redemption come? It goes on to say, through his blood, referring to Christ. The way we have redemption is because there was a lamb that died in our place. Just like for the people of Israel, there was an actual lamb that died, one for each household, and the Jews as a, as a nation celebrated that for hundreds, thousands of years until Christ came. And when Christ turned up, John the Baptist, first thing he says when he sees him, he says, behold the lamb 
who takes away the sin of the world. And we have Christ as our perfect lamb, our spotless lamb, who died on the cross for our sins to offer freedom from the ultimate bondage of sin to all mankind, to all humanity. And he died in our place. And Paul is saying to the church there, you have that same redemption, just like the people of Israel were free, you have that freedom because of what Christ's done. There was some death for our sin. There was punishment, but the punishment wasn't laid on you. It was laid on Christ. When he died, he took the punishment. He bore the wrath of God that should have been yours. And you now have freedom from that sin. And it's through his blood. He did not have to die. He was perfect. We had to die. We were the ones who failed God. But actually Christ took our place so we did not have to. And so we have this wonderful freedom. We have redemption. We're saying to the church, one of these blessings that you have from the activity, the plan of God, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, but you have freedom. You have freedom from sin. It's this redemption. And part of that redemption is the forgiveness there of that sin. Your sins have been forgiven in Christ. The price has been paid. It is a wonderful thing. And it also says there, we have it now. It says, we have it. There's a current possession there. It's not something that you will have in the future. It's something that you can possess right now. You can know it. You can experience freedom. You can experience forgiveness from your sin. You can walk free from the power of sin and you can know the actual forgiveness, the tangible presence of that in your life now. It says in um, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, which are probably, for me, one of my most well-known verses of the Bible because I recognise how much I need them. It says, um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a forgiveness and cleansing that comes through God. And we can sin in all kinds of ways. We can sin by the sins of uh, commission, which is doing things we shouldn't have done. We have the sins of omission, which is not doing what we should have done. So there's both way around. We can all fail like that, but that can be dealt with through Christ because we can possess forgiveness right now. And what, uh, from just a practical thing, I don't know, um, the way that it works is you can suffer conviction and you can suffer condemnation for things that you do. Okay? And there, one is from God and one is from the enemy and one is good and one is evil. And we need to be able to discern the difference to knowing as we're looking at our own lives and examining our own lives that we're under one and not under the other. And conviction is the good one, that is the one from God. And the image, I think the helpful image is the image of the scalpel and the con- condemnation is from the enemy and that is evil and that is the image I would use probably as something like a sledgehammer. And so you imagine something, if I take the example of an apple, an apple has a bruising, a bad thing, which is like our life. We sometimes have things in our life that need to be dealt with. If you take a scalpel to it, you cut it out. It's very precise. You can literally just cut out the bad bit and you've got the rest of the apple there to be enjoyed and that's good. Or you could take the sledgehammer to it to deal with the bad thing. And what's the result if you took a sledgehammer to an apple... It just destroys the apple. There's mess and juice everywhere. And the point is, when we suffer conviction, it is like that. It is razor sharp. It points at one specific thing. It's of the Holy Spirit. And he will put his finger on it and say, in your life, that one thing needs to be dealt with. That is something that I'm, I'm poking you about. And I'd like you to sort out, to dealt with, to repent, bring it back to God, get help, all those things. And that's the acts of God in our life, and it's a wonderful thing. But on the other side, you can feel condemnation, which is of the enemy, and the enemy will come with a subject and just crush you and say, you are rubbish. 
You are useless. God doesn't love you. How could you call yourself a Christian? And lies like that will come around, but there is a blanket covering that just wants to destroy you personally rather than deal with one thing in your life so you can go on to freedom. And I remember there was a time um, in my life where um, I remember I, I, I'd messed up badly and I knew it and I remember feeling that kind of that sense of I've got to deal with this and I remember confessing my sin I remember being really broken about it I remember confessing it to um, a pastor at the church I remember talking it through, praying it, doing all that thing and I remember thinking I've, I've been forgiven, I know the drill You know, it, it's a wonderful gift of grace I remember going home the next day and I remember waking up um, the Monday morning, and I remember feeling utterly rubbish about what had happened and actually just being reminded constantly of, you did this, you call yourself a Christian, you know, blah, 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 and I just felt rubbish and worthless. And that happened the whole week, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and by the end of it, I was just in a mess and felt horrible, felt worthless, I couldn't, you know, how could I talk to God, how could I read about all these kind of things. And then I managed somehow to drag myself to church the following Sunday. And I remember going to talk to the, um, the same pastor and just say, look, da-da-da, you were there, or we did this, I'm now here, um, and I feel terrible. I just, you know, and I explained where I was, and I was still in a, kind of in this state of just like... <gasps> And he said to me, he said, did you pray? Did you repent? Yes. And he said, did God forgive you? Yes. And he says, well, do you believe it? And I kind of hesitated. And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, then you've been forgiven and you just reject the lies that come through it. And he showed me Romans 8, which says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for me, it was like a light went on and something lifted and I actually took by faith what was mine anyway, my forgiveness and my freedom. And I walked free from it. And it was like someone just lifted it off. And it's, it's something that's so stuck with me years and years later that actually when I come before God and I deal with my sin, actually I reject condemnation, but I hold conviction and I deal with things. And, and for us as a people, we need to know the difference and react to both of them the correct way. We're reacting to the things of God uh, by repenting and rejecting the things of the devil. And that might mean going to talk to someone, to pray to someone, or it might just be the reading of scripture and holding on to those things. But actually, you, we are not under condemnation. That general blanket, you are rubbish, you are worthless, is not from God. And it's not something he wants us to live under. Because we've been rescued. And the passage goes on there, it says, um, we've had forgiveness for our sins according to the riches of our grace which he has lavished upon us. That lavished is a sense of, you know, we're British, most of us, I imagine. I think we all are, because you're washed out there. So I think all of us are British. And sometimes, if someone goes completely over the top, you know, a big public display of affection, or they go completely extravagant with a gift, we get a little bit uncomfortable and a bit like, oh, you know, you don't do that in public. You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's a bit British, we're a bit, a bit reserved. But the point of that word is that lavished, over the top, almost for us, unnecessary amount and God lavishes it on us if you actually sit and ponder it it is over the top what God is doing and he continues to do it and it says it's from the riches of his grace and the point there that riches word is a word that would for us we would we would describe it like um, being filthy rich being stinking rich being a multi multi billionaire something wealth beyond what we can understand something so vast so great that almost you can't actually calculate how much wealth they've got because it's always increasing through interest and assets and other things that they have this accumulating wealth that is so vast I've heard about 
stories about people who were so wealthy that if they walked along, walked along the road and they found you know, uh, £10,000 kind of in a pile, um, they would earn more money by the time it took them to pick it up than they would actually get from the £10,000. They're, they're that wealthy. Do you know what I mean? It's almost not worth my while picking that up because I'm earning more than that just from my accumulation of the wealth I have. And when you think like that, you think, that one, that is just staggering and scary. But that's, that's the riches of God lavished upon us in his grace. That's what it's like. And so, if we ever get to a position where you think, could God's love for me run out? Could I ever go too far from his grace and mercy? Could I ever do something so bad that I am outside his sphere? Um, you think... No, you couldn't. You couldn't because it's inexhaustible would be the word. You can't get to the end of it. You can't plumb the depths of it. And God has got it and he has lavished it, Paul says, on us, on us, the church. We receive that as individuals, as a corporate gathering. It is a wonderful thing. God has redemption and forgiveness. Let's move on to God's divine plan. God's divine plan. Moving on, verse um, 8, which he levels upon us. And all, okay, well, he talks about wisdom and insight. It talks making known a mystery, being made known to us. And what Paul is pointing out here is the divine plan of God. Now, d- despite what you may hear, we're not here by accident. It's not some cosmic kind of um, everything lined up and poof, we arrived and then have kind of grown and evolved to this point. We're part of a plan of God that was set in eternity past and will be brought together in eternity future. And God is working out his plans and he has chosen in his wisdom to reveal it to us. It is a mystery has been made known. A mystery actually is a theme in Paul's writing. If you read his letters, there's this mystery that was once hidden... And it was shown in shadows, if you read the Old Testament. There, were, there are images, but suddenly has been revealed, been made known to us, the people. And it's been summed up in Christ, and it's been made known to him. And the point of what Paul's getting there in those last verses is the main point of everything, the summary of everything, is God. That's what he wants to do, and he's going to sum it up in Christ. And the whole of creation has been fragmented and broken, and alienation has set in, between man and God, between um, mankind, one another, between husband and wife and, and parents and children. It has been multiplied over because of sin and the harmony of creation that we see in Genesis 1 um, and 2 has been fractured because of man's rebellion. And the point is, God is going to sum it all up again in Christ. The big, the big scope of the gospel could be summed up in four words. You've got creation, fall, reconciliation and consummation. And you have creation, God created everything, it was perfect. Four, man fouled it up. That's Genesis kind of one to three. Reconciliation is basically the rest of the Bible. And then you have consummation at the end, Genesis, uh, sorry, Revelation 21, 22, where it's all been brought together. And that is the plan of God. That is what he has, he has revealed to us, this wonderful plan that one day everything will be summed up in Christ. Absolutely everything. One day, all the believers from all time, the church from the saints of old to the saints who have yet to be born, will be brought together and we will one day stand before Christ and we will worship him forever and we will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth because the creation itself is going to be made new and summed up. If you read at the end of Revelation, the city, the new Jerusalem, comes down to earth and then the earth is remade 
and we enjoy and we live on the new heavens and the new earth. So even creation itself will be restored and this is the wonderful plan of God. And if you read through the rest of Ephesians, you'll see Paul picking out points of that. He talks about the great divide between Jew and Gentile which is a humanity divide that actually in Christ has been brought together. That wall has gone and actually you've got one new man in Christ where all humanity comes together before God. It talks about the relationship between husbands and wives and parents and children as part of this reconciliation work that God is bringing everything together. And it says it's going to happen in the fullness of time. That means that God has a plan and he is working it out. Nothing is happening by accident. He is sovereign and it is all coming together. It says in Galatians, I think it's 4.4, it says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. So even the moment Jesus came into history was a picked place. God picked that time, that place. You know, you can question why he picked first century kind of Palestine you know, and brought in the Roman Empire and there are probably lots of theories about that but God chose that, God chose that time and everything that is working out is part of his plan and the church is the expression of it now you are the expression of God's plan do you find that really quite scary? that actually you're the ones God has chosen in his plan to bring his good news to the world. Sometimes I look at us and think, really? You you haven't got a better plan? But no, it's us. It's us. It's the church, the worldwide body. God uses us. We're the ones that is going to bring this this, um, plan forward, move it towards that day of consummation. God has appointed the church to be the one to bring this message of reconciliation. And we're to preach that message. We're to preach redemption and forgiveness of sin. We're to preach preach adoption and election and all those things that have been summed up here and this mystery which is now being made known that God one day is going to pull everything together in Christ. He's the reason. He's He's the focus of everything. He's the summed up point. And And for us, when we think about our lives now, if God is working out a sovereign plan from end to end and we're somewhere in this middle section, that means that what you're going through right now and where you are and what you're doing is no accident. The jobs you find yourself in, the the places you find yourself living, the churches you find yourself upon are all part of God's plan working it out. The person you sit next to at work who you may or may not like, but they're there, they're your colleague, the person over you who's the boss or under you as your kind of your subordinate or, or, or the neighbours you live next door to, the people you hang out with in your social setting, there's no accident they're there. God has put them there as part of his plan and you're there as part of his plan. And as I was saying this, I, I, remember, I was just reminded of things that have been happening recently. Um, I've, um, in my role, I went to... Um, a school, um, I do supply teaching so I'm kind of all over the place. I went to this one school and you know, you know, they were asking me what I do, why am I doing supply, blah, blah, and it, you know, it comes out, I'm here, you know, we're starting a church. You know, you've just got to tell them the truth, you're starting a church. And it was amazing the response some of them have. So you're a pastor of a church, yeah. Do you want to come and do our harvest festival? I'm like, <laughs> and I'm just, uh, and they were, thankfully they were joking. I thought, I'm not sure where I stand on harvest festivals, but that was it. And it, was, it just sparked this conversation. I thought, there's no accident I'm here in this staff room talking to you about this. And you've prompted it. 
you know, in, I, I do, I enjoy sports, I uh, get involved in that. That's a great opportunity in terms of praying for people because if you do any kind of physical exercises, what are you going to have? <laughs> Injuries. <laughs> Quite a lot of them and people are, oh, my back. And even last week I was with someone, they were telling me one of the guys who used to, to train with us cannot because of his back. Um, we had a mutual friend who said, can you tell him I'm going to pray for him? I'm going to pray that God, I believe in the God, I believe in God who heals and I'm going to pray for his back and pray that it's healed. And I thought, there's no accident I'm here having this conversation. I don't know what God is going to do with it and I can't claim to be a, you know, an expert on that because I've bottled that conversation at least three weeks in a row and finally it's like, I've got to say something. I'm here for a reason. But it's what God, where God has put you and what you're doing, there's no accident in that. The people around you, your neighbours, those over the road, there is no accident in that. God has got a sovereign plan and he is working it out. And we are the, the people who carry that mystery. God has revealed it to us, to the church, and it's our job to actually proclaim that to others so they too can enjoy it. Okay, let's, uh, we'll leave Ephesians there. I've got a few homework questions for you that I'd just love you to, um, to think about and process um, on your own in light of this, um, what we've looked at today. The first one, in looking at redemption and forgiveness, my uh, question to you is, have you ever experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? Have you ever actually experienced that, um, that sense of being forgiven and actually knowing that in your life? I can remember when I kind of, I first hit when I became a Christian, that sense of actually, I've been forgiven. I'm not perfect, <laughs> but I'm forgiven by the grace of God. And the point is that we were all sinners. Ephesians will go on to tell us this, that we were far from God, we were in our transgressions and our sins, and God, in his mercy, chose to save us, bring us alive in Christ. He chose to forgive us of our sins, we repented, uh, we became new creations. And I just, if you've never experienced that, I'd love to talk to you maybe at the end of the meeting about what that means, becoming a Christian, all those kind of things. But actually, forgiveness, it says that we have that, it's something we can experience tangibly right now. Another question would be, um, is there anything that you feel in your life now that you're actually under condemnation for rather than conviction for? If you look, think about those two things, there's the, there's the scalpel and there's the hammer because the hammer is of the enemy and he just wants to destroy you and crush you. That's what hammers do. They smash and they crush and they're very good at it. That's why we use them. But actually... God wants you to be free from that. There is no condemnation, it says in Romans 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to live up under that. And my encouragement, if that is you, I, I, I grab someone to talk to today and maybe just to talk through, maybe that will be enough to pray through, look up the scriptures in 1 John 1, look up those ones in Romans 8, 1 about being under condemnation and actually walking free from that. Have someone stand with you and pray and say, we will, you know, we will get rid of this and we will enjoy the forgiveness and the freedom of God. Is there anything in your life that the Holy Spirit is convicting you about? And the easy answer is, if you're thinking about it now, the answer is yes. Because it will it'll come to mind. The Spirit's really good at that. And you know, if it's there in the front of your mind and you know it's there, that's the Spirit saying, I think you need to deal with that. And if you need to deal with that, there's, there's, what you need to do, there's, kind of, there's a process. It's, the three words would be repentance, reconciliation and restitution. And the first one is repenting, is, is you turn away from it. You acknowledge it, you own it, that was wrong, that was sin. You know, I apologise, you, know, you, you, you seek forgiveness of God, you ask for it, knowing he will forgive you, knowing he forgive you. 
for that and enjoying that forgiveness, but it's owning it before God and, and actually naming it and saying, yes, I did this. And in that process, being specific is the best thing. In fact, it's really the only thing. You need to actually not forgive me for my sin, Forgive me for that time when I was rude and a pig to my wife and I was selfish and I said, la, 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 la. You know, you own it and be specific about it. So that's repentance. The next one is reconciliation. Depending on what it was, you might need to go and be reconciled to someone. So give that example there with my wife. I, I could repent of my sin to God, but then I guess what? I need to go and talk to my wife and, and, and reconcile a relationship that has been broken there and, and bring that back, back, to, back together and, and seek her forgiveness as well for, for what I've done. I can deal with it in God, then there might be a human element. And then sometimes there's restoration where things have been broken that you might need to, to, to restore to someone. You are, you know, if you'd stolen, you might need to give back, repay back. And there's sometimes an earning of trust that needs to happen beyond it. And so that's the process. And so if the Spirit is convicting you about anything now and it's still in the front of your mind because it hasn't gone away, even though I've talked about something else. You need to deal with that, and I, I encourage you to do that. You can do it during the worship time, you can grab someone just to stand with you and pray, because it's, it's good. It does say confess our sins to one another, um, which is a really, really scary thing, and I wish it was in the Bible. But having done it, it's actually an incredibly releasing thing, because ultimately the person you're talking to has done what you've done, and probably way worse anyway, You know, because we're all sinners. Um, and so there's no... There's no um, the hierarchy in that. And so I encourage you to do that. And the, 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 on to do with God's plan, I remember last week when Melanie spoke, there were lots of tasks she got you to do. I just want to bring your mind back to those. Have you done the things she said about building friendships and making time for people who are, you know, you meet in your life, co-workers? What are the kind of pledges you made there? Have you done anything about them? Um, I found the bit of paper I put in my pocket when I put my jeans out to be washed kind of pulled out and thought, oh, flip, forgot about that. Put it to the side, thought, I've got to do something about that. Um, I kind of said I wanted to, to um, uh, move forward in. So I'd encourage you in that. Is there an attitude you need to change towards some of the people you live with? I bet work with will be one of them. Work with, even if they're in your family. Because God chose your family. Isn't that really scary? You know, he chose your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your, you know, all that kind of thing. And so there's some attitudes that need to be changed. There's a few things, that, I, particularly on that forgiveness one, let's be a people who are quick to acknowledge our errors before God, knowing we have a loving Heavenly Father who has made a way that we can deal with them in Christ and that we have a Father who wants us to come to him. We have Christ as an advocate in heaven who say, I've taken the punishment for that and I don't, we don't have to bear that because someone else has done it for us. Amen? Fantastic. You're all really silent and kind of like, go on. I'll say something if that's all right. Go on then. I want to share something. Um, I was driving um, to Ikea yesterday quite a few times, unfortunately, <laughs> due to measurement errors. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, just kind of used the time to kind of um, have some worship music on and pray and stuff like that. I just really felt God was saying that um, there's people here this morning um, who feel like they're distancing, they, they, they want to keep a distance of themselves from God because they feel a certain condemnation about the things that they feel trapped in or, or not necessarily sin, but just that they can't approach God because, because of exactly what Stuart's talked about this morning. Just that feeling like you can't really approach God because he's so holy and you feel so unworthy. Yeah. 
Um, I just feel to encourage you this morning, particularly during worship, that we just like open our hearts to that. I know for me, um, it was a massive, massive thing when um, I kind of really figured out God's unconditional love for me and his forgiveness for me regardless of what I've done. I found kind of coming back to him at that kind of stage really, really difficult. Um, so, yeah, I know it's hard, but equally, don't be afraid because God does open you back with just open arms the whole time. So, Amen. Be Amen. encouraged as well. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Fantastic. We're going to worship God now. Um, do you mind just going and letting the um, people in the um, the fish farm know that?